0: Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.
1: The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solas. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you. We have won. And now you're no longer slaves. You're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Entered Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve, so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely, so repent. Repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more.
0: Well, good morning, church. If you're excited to be in the house of God today with the people of God, let me hear you say amen while we are worshiping today, I love that it's a two-way street. I love that Derek was here to be our lead worshiper, but I thank you so much for realizing that worship is the condition of your heart as we come to bring a sacrifice of joy and life. And I was just so struck about what we're doing here today, that we're not just a crowd of people who all look great, which by the way, you all look great. Tell somebody in the room today, say, you look great but then clarify on the inside, because that way it stays spiritual. It's not just here to look good and do good and be good, but we are here today because at some level we have a belief that we can connect with the king of heaven himself. And so today we are meeting in his presence with his people to study his word so that we can live the change he wants to live through us. If that's why you're here today, let me hear you say yes. Welcome, welcome. I hope you feel welcome. Today we are continuing our series in the book of Galatians. If you have a copy of the scriptures, then I invite you to join us in turning to Galatians chapter five. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, we have a free one that we'd love to give you on your way out today, or you can follow along on the screen or whatever digital device you choose. Today we are talking about a big idea that I'm so excited about. We've entitled this message, The Gospel Brings a new transforming power. The gospel brings a new transforming power. I don't know if you've ever tried to make a major change in your life, like try a new lifestyle, diet, eating plan, a new exercise regimen, uh, a new way to view the world. Maybe you're gonna start getting up early. I don't know if you've ever found it challenging, but I think that change can be hard. Can I get a witness today? So you're like, no, all my changes work out great. I was actually studying this week on the science of change and how often they actually take root in our life. And from a psychological and neurological standpoint, one of the worst ways that you can expect change in your life is if your approach to making a change is just to try Harder, And yet again and again and again, what do we see in the practice of faith? We see people who feel loads and loads of guilt because at their best, as they try harder, they find they can't try hard enough. That's exactly why the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians and why it's been a joy to study this book. Uh, As I've been studying this, uh, we have a teaching team that meets on Monday to sort of seek the scriptures together and to pray. And uh, I feel like Indiana Jones, like going into the hidden temple, looking for treasures. And every week I'm walking away feeling so blessed. So I don't even care if you like this message. It's just for me. I'm just kidding. I want you to like it too. When is the last time you tried to make a big change? I can remember when um, I was in late stages of high school, I decided that I was ready to be cooler and edgier and more stylish. I was ready to upgrade my look, so I made a bold choice. I made my way to the discount hair salon in Metro Atlanta, which is where you're always going to get a great look. And I went in and I asked for what I thought was going to be the coolest hairstyle of the day. And I committed to that look way longer than I should have. And I'm here because church is a safe place. I'm here to tell you today what it was was. okay, Um, So I changed my hair uh, to get blonde frosted tip highlights. Thank you. Thank you. I have some interesting things to tell you uh, regarding that. That is actually the hair I had the first moment I met the love of my life, Andrea Grillo Bennett. And I think it tells you two things about us. Number one, our love is true. And the second thing it teaches us is that she has questionable taste in men, but I'm glad I've already sealed the deal. The question I'm asking you today, is there anything in your life that you would like to see changed? The reality, and I've studied this a lot, thought about it a lot. The truth is, is we rarely see change in our lives. However, we are often changed by life. In fact, as I look back at most of the changes I've experienced, most of them had nothing to do with proactive decisions that I made, but rather the fact that life can be an interesting and flexible, sometimes brutal place. And so many of the changes that I've experienced have been reacting to what's happened to me. It led to the question, are we just going to always be victims of our circumstance? Or is there a way to feel empowered to live the lives that we have a desire to live? As a person of faith, I think this question is especially tricky because we believe that in Jesus, we are the people of a promise. If you believe that today, say yes we say that we are people not just seeking to muddle through this world we preach a message of jesus and we say jesus did not come to make bad people a little bit better we say we believe jesus came to raise dead people to life that we have the ability through hope in the gospel to see the world not as it is but how it could be how it can be if love was the dominant force by which we were guided, if truth was our guiding force, if justice won the day, if we lived lives not just of talk but of action, what would it be like to live in this world? We see that's exactly what God has destined for us, and yet so many of us feel like I do often. Stuck in the in-between, in a sense of struggle, because the reality is, is today, if we were to tell the truth, I confessed to a group of people this morning that sometimes, believe it or not, I'm not always the person I would like to be. I'm not always practicing the faith that I would like to practice. And my big question today is, number one, is it safe to admit that? And number two, what do we do next? Enter the book of Galatians. The whole big idea of this book that I hope you uh, get, and we've been going through it quickly. We've been calling it a survey of Galatians because we want to understand this big idea. So what is the big idea of the book of Galatians? It's this. In one word, freedom. Everybody on the count of three say freedom. One, two, three. Freedom. Freedom. So like William Wallace is out there. That was perfect. (laughs) Freedom from what? Let's do a quick review. Freedom from the demands of the law. Last, Last week we studied what the law is. The law, according to the Old Testament, is a set of standards, God's standards. The law is what he gave us to show us his ideal version of the world. And yet, you and I know that it is a wonderful set of standards, but without the power to meet those standards, it becomes this impossible set of expectations. And what does it feel like to live under a set of impossible expectations? The book of Galatians calls that the curse of the law. To know what you should do without the power to do it or without the regular practice of doing it. It loads up the guilt in our heart and creates separation from us and God. Enter the gospel. The gospel says... That a loving God who never stopped yearning for you knew in his heart that at your very best, you would never measure up. And so he did something. He sent his own son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, but not just that to preach glorious messages, but not just that, to find the sick and to heal them so they would be well, but not just that, to show us a beautiful version and view of the world. But he didn't stop there because the problem wasn't that we didn't have a beautiful view of the world. It was that we did not have the power to live it. And so Jesus did what only he could. He went to the cross where a sacrifice was called for. You see, every time you and I fall short, a price <laughs> needs to be paid to set us right. And on the cross, Jesus stretched out his arms and he gave his life for you and me. And when Jesus died, so did every good reason for us to stay away from God. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he created a pathway to God, not just once, but once and for all. Jesus did not come to give you good advice. He came to shatter the curse. That's what we've been studying. And the need that we have is so great. And the desire for reconciliation from the heart of God was so intense, we can never stop to remember. We can never stop thinking about the fact that God loved us so much, that God himself died and lived again, that's the gospel. I heard a story this week, a tragic story on the Today Show, about a country music artist who tragically lost his three-year-old son after a backyard swimming pool accident. And just watching that story was like a kick in the gut. It's one of those stories that as a father of young kids, like I just went and found my kids where they were at, and I'm like hugging them extra tight, and they're like, Why are you hugging me so tight? I'm like, just hush, give into it. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine that suffering. And to make that choice willfully, what love that must express. That God Himself sent His own Son to perish for us. We've realized in this study that grace is an incredible topic and it's hard for us to grip. Most of us struggle understanding grace, and the book of Galatians teaches us why. We've reviewed before. It says that grace is not a man-made concept. So a man-made concept is revenge and getting what you deserve and enacting your will on someone else. To give unmerited, undeserved goodness to someone else, that is a heavenly concept. That did not originate in the hearts of people like you and me. So that's the first reason it's hard to grip. The second reason it's hard to grip is because there are evil, wicked agendas compromising your ability to receive the goodness and grace of god not only that there are good people who are constantly getting it wrong and in this room today you might be a good person who's getting grace wrong and it's impacting you and the people in your life and the bible says in galatians the only way to truly understand grace is through a revelation of grace that god would lay it bare for you and maybe today before we even get started the intro is what you needed to hear that the Lord wants you to seek him for a revelation of grace. The Bible says, we're not just to learn about grace, but to be gripped by grace. And when we are, something occurs, we are given freedom. But this brings more questions than answers. As we ask, what does it look like to live in this freedom? Is change really possible? What if I get all of this freedom and I mess it up again? What happens next? That's why we have Galatians chapter five. That's why today we are studying what a transforming power looks like. Without any further ado, let's start walking through this passage by passage. Galatians chapter five, verse one says this. So simple, so perfect, so beautiful. For freedom, Christ has set us free. It's worth reading again for freedom. And by the way, the word freedom in the Greek, do you know what it means? Freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. What do we do about it? Stand firm there for man-made religion says grace is a down payment that you have to pay off the rest of your life through good works. The Bible says, no, it's for freedom, that Christ has set us free. What do we do with it? Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And the first thing that we see in our study today is this, that living in freedom becomes our new obedience. Living in freedom becomes our new obedience. I want to pause here for prayer to ask for God's Holy Spirit to meet us and teach us and show us what we need to see. Let me pray. With your head bowed and eyes closed, I encourage you to take a moment of silence. And if you're a praying person, just ask God to reveal something to you today. Jesus, you are mighty. You are king, you are glorious, you are love. Meet us here. Speak to our hearts. We need you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. God's people said this. Amen. It's impossible to experience joy to its fullest extent without freedom. The picture here that the Bible is presenting, it's almost like a chain that was once wrapped around us that has been snapped. The cage has been opened. Maybe some of you are pet owners. Have you ever had the dog in his kennel all day long or she's in the kennel all day long and you come and open the gate and let the puppy out into the backyard? It's an explosion of life. That's what happens every time we get John Charles out of our crib and a donut is in the house. It's just life explosion. That's the picture created here is that we were once captive to sin and the expectations of the law without the power to measure up. But once Christ has come, we are offered not just a sense of duty, not just a sense of perfection, but a sense of freedom. When is the last time you fully felt free in the presence of God? When is the last time? you felt fully wanted in the presence of god when is the last time you felt fully acceptable in the presence of god precious person you know i'm here today it's because you need to be reminded of this it is for freedom that you've been set free i was studying a bit about uh like it's memorial day season we're thinking about a lot of these things in A couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to go on a trip to Israel. It was a really interesting way I got the call. So um, in a lot of churches, the senior adults are often the only ones who have enough money to go on these trips to Israel. And so I got this call at the last second It was like, hey, Aaron, one of those old people hurt their backs and they can't go on the trip anymore. We're leaving in two days. Do you wanna come? And I was like, let me check with my wife because I'm a good husband. And she said yes. And so me and like all these like 65 and up Like, basically old ladies went to Israel, and it was the time of my life. It's pretty much the only way I want to travel from now on out. It's like me and the Sophies and the Berthas and just, like, helping them down the cobblestone streets of Israel. And uh, one of the last places that we visited, I won't tell you which one fell face first into the Dead Sea. It was a whole thing. Um, But before we left, we visited one of the most profound places that I've ever been on planet Earth, and it was the Holocaust Museum. And I'll never forget walking through Yad Vashem, witnessing the pile of shoes sitting in the corner removed from the victims. And then you remember, like, this was not just a story, this was life and death. Like, this is physical. This happened. I remember seeing the rooms where they had some of the operating equipment where some of the most horrific experiments were carried out on the captives, and then to the wall of memories where you're reading the names of those who lost their lives. It's one thing to think about life in general, but real change always happens in specific, doesn't it? On January 27th, 1985, 7,000 men and women were rescued from Auschwitz. Though millions died, those 7,000 were set free by allied forces. The picture that I was thinking of in regards to our freedom is this. So often, free men and women, free people of God feel like once the jail doors are flung open, we owe it to somebody or something to stay put in our cell. God, I know you have given me the freedom to walk forward. God, I know you've given me the freedom to experience fullness. God, I know and I trust and I believe your grace is enough, but there's this peace in me, this yoke of the law that makes me feel like I should sit still until I've met a standard that no one other than myself has placed, until I feel like I can measure up. It makes me feel like what would happen if those allied forces lost millions of lives during World War II to liberate people just like that, had flung open the doors and released the chains, and the people looked at them and said, that's okay, we'll stay here. Yet we have a generation of people. We have millions of believers still working their way to a God who has already provided the only way in Jesus. And that's why we see that freedom is not just an invitation, it's an expectation. Living in freedom is your new obedience, precious person. Be free, it has been paid for and it is your calling. In Galatians chapter five, verses two through 12, I'm gonna summarize quickly. Paul begins to discuss a huge problem The church was facing at the time. The people of God were focusing on a religious practice to judge each other. I know that's never happened to you. (laughs) They were using a piece of the Bible that they found to be really important to judge one another. And he goes through it in detail and he uses some very impactful language if you want to give it a read this afternoon. So the question always comes up when we discuss freedom. We start to talk about two different ideas, legalism or liberalism? Well, if you say I can be free, are you just saying like I can walk down and punch people in the face and um, like steal cars? And, you can steal my car because I'd really like the insurance money. Uh, but uh, or on the other side, because God has been so gracious to us, shouldn't we like hold tightly to everything that we can to show him that we've been a good investment And we get caught on this dichotomy of liberalism versus legalism. And the question always comes up, if the law was important at one time, what happened to God's standard? Paul says, I'm so glad you asked. In Galatians 5.13, he writes this, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled. I want you to see that word. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the second thing that we see in this text today is that God's standard was not erased, it was fulfilled. God's standard was not erased, it was fulfilled. My wife's not in the room right now, so I'll go ahead and tell the story. A few days ago, she was pulled over by a police officer. Um, She was with the kids. She had both uh, Valentine, our sparkling princess of you know, strength and demands and life, and then she had John Charles, who spent the better part of this week teething, and that's never pretty. So they're in the back of the car, being kids that we love very much, but at best distracting, and so Andrea ends up running a red light. And so as soon as the lights come on in her rearview mirror, she has that sinking feeling of like, that's it. My wife is a one on the Enneagram, which is an idealist, a perfectionist. I'm a three, so we have very different reactions to the lights and the the mirror. Hers is, I deserve it, give me everything I deserve. Mine are, what a great jumping off point for a fun negotiation. so the police officer makes his makes her way up to the window and she was like um yes ma'am did you my wife's like i know i did it i ran the light it's all me it's all my fault the lady's like uh huh and then she starts to notice in the back seat uh the kids are there she's like oh were the kids making some noise my wife's like yes they were but it's like my fault Uh," and so the officer's like okay i understand so she goes back to her vehicle and then she comes back with that dreaded piece of paper And she handed it to my wife, and it's like a shiny sticker for my daughter. And my wife's like, can you believe it? I'm like, yes, I can believe it. You totally worked the system. You didn't even know it. (laughs) So the moral of the story is it's okay to ignore laws if you are with children. (laughs) The spiritual principle is this. That illustration does not represent the way that God works. But it's the example that we see. We see laws that seem important until they are bent. We see standards that seem important until they're broken by those with the power and ability and cleverness to work and to break the system. That is not the way God works. And yet, it is how many religions are built. Here's how God works. God is always a just God. God's standard always matters. It is always a problem when we live in a sinful way because sin is not just a set of practices. No, the biblical teaching of sin is that sin is a disease with symptoms. Sin is always destructive. It always leads to decay. It always leads to problems. So therefore, God is a just God, and his standards never change. So what happened to the standards? The Bible says they were fulfilled in Jesus. Every standard has been lived up to. Every perfection has been fulfilled in him. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17. He says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is the perfection of who God is. And as he walked on this earth and lived this life in the grimy dirt that we make it through every single day, Jesus managed in the power of God, not just to be the creator of the universe, but to be the fulfillment of God's ideal. If you love Jesus today, say Yes. There is no one like Jesus. There has never been one like Jesus. There will never be one like Jesus. In John 19, 28 and 30, see just in chapter 5, he said, basically everything has to be accomplished. Look what Jesus said as he was hanging from the cross, giving his life for your sin, with his back laid open through the whips so that by his stripes you could be healed. Here's what he says. After this, Jesus knowing that all things now were accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled the law. And guess what? You're not going to add to it. You are not going to improve upon the work of Christ there's a message today it's simple give up and let him give up and let him see god is a just god what are we free from galatians reveals that to us let's go back into the cave of wonders galatians 5:15. if you bite and devour one another watch out that you're not consumed by one another but i say walk So, no longer do we have a question of legalism versus liberalism. We have a question of fulfillment. And if we are filled in Jesus, we are led. By the Spirit. The very same one who gave us life for you. The very same one who wanted you and you were unwantable, The very same one that pursued you through the ages is the very same one who gives you the power and the Spirit and the ability to live the life God wanted you to live. Why do we stray? Because the challenge isn't information in this life. The challenge is intimacy intimacy there's a third thing that we see we are all imprisoned by the desire monster we all have one we are all imprisoned by the desire monster we just read in galatians about the desires of the flesh i know this has never happened to you because you're good have you ever wanted something you couldn't have how did it make you feel I was just reading what some authors wrote about unrequited desire. Federico Garcia Lorca, a Spanish poet wrote this, to purn with desire and keep quiet about it is the greatest punishment we can bring on ourselves. We are imprisoned by the desire monster. Willa Cather, a pioneer author wrote this, the world is little, people are little, human life is little, there's only one big thing, desire. Nayara Wahid wrote this: Desire is the kind of thing that eats you and leaves you starving. We are all imprisoned by the desire monster. What do you desire? Your answer likely has control of your life. Why can't we change? Pure and simple, we are what we want. We are what we want. And I've watched people struggle in sin. I watch myself, I've had a front row seat. Sometimes I like to play myself as a victim of this sin and these desires. I don't know why I keep falling back into it. There's a simple reason, because there's a part of you that loves your sin. There's a part of you that loves your sin. Maybe that's hard for us to reconcile because we're like, no. Like in my conscious thought, I hate what I keep doing. Uh, this thing that I'm falling into again and again, this like, relationship that I keep giving myself back into, these practices that I seem so stuck in, this way of thinking that I feel trapped in, this anger that I feel so bound by, I hate what it does. And you're right, because with Christ, there is a new nature, the nature of the spirit that has emerged within you. But you can never talk yourself out of a bad desire. There's only one way to deal with a desire monster. It won't be tamed. It won't be coerced. It won't be trained. It can only be killed. This is not a story of rules and regulations. This is a story of death and resurrection. In order to have resurrection power, almost always, something has to die. I think this is really interesting galatians 5 says this if you uh, 515 if you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another and it took me a minute to really start understanding that passage until i realized this phrase happens in our culture all the time people will say to you the reason it feels tough out there is because we live in a dog eat dog kind of world that's exactly what this passage is saying that when our desire goes unfulfilled in our life, what is the first thing that we have a tendency to do? Turn our attention to other people through entitlements, through anger, through separation, through a lack of freedom in relationships. You see, we studied last week that the whole point of the gospel is that God wants to create this beautiful, all-inclusive family. But when we have a desire monster, what do we start to Feel. We start to feel scarcity. There's not enough in this world to fulfill this desire monster. It's always hungry and it always wants more. And when I see someone else getting the thing that my desire monster wants, it's so easy to turn on them. And the Bible says that one of the first signs to see that you are dealing with unkilled fleshly desires in your life is to examine your relationships to other people. Last night, Andrea and I went on a date. It was pretty exciting. She likes sushi. I think it's gross, so we went to sushi, and (laughs) because I think she's awesome, and we were trying to do like these couple questions, like uh, I like literally was like googled questions to grow closer to your spouse. That's lame, but it was good. Um, So one of the questions is if you could live in any other country where would it be for a year? Like if we can move our family to any other country for a year. And was like, easy. We would move to Italy. We would eat pasta every day. We would pick the produce. We would grow the spices and herbs in our own backyard. I was like, yeah, that's hard to top. I was thinking about what my answer would be, and I thought about a ministry that we partner with in Africa in Uganda, which by the way, David Dirksen's getting ready to leave for Uganda in just a few days for an internship. Yay, David. Uh, You look like this is news to you. You are, so um, (coughs) I've heard. Don't worry, show up to the airport. So there's a place in particular that we support. So by the way, if you're a first time guest and you haven't heard, if you fill out our card, I love it, every first time guest, we make a $5 donation in your honor to the village of Eden in Uganda that supports child development, feeds a kid for a week, makes sure they help with school supplies. So just by being here, you're making a difference. But I was thinking about to my experience in Uganda. I have some friends that are planning a camping trip and I'm struggling because I like to think of myself as a pretty indoorsy person. Um, They invented air conditioning for a reason, and I don't intend to rebuke that reason. Now that I've been set free, I'm walking in my air-conditioned freedom. Um, I like things like plug-in outlets. I think that's fun, Um, like a warm breakfast. I never got mad at that. So a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Uganda And I was like, this is going to be so great. Every day is going to be like Mufasa. We're just going to be like, and it's going to be perfect. And all that stuff happened. But as we get to the barracks where we were staying, I really quickly became accustomed to the concrete floor and the cold showers. And they would tell us, you got to sleep under your bug net because several people that have been here have died of malaria. And I'm like, get that net, get that net. Um, And took my medicine every day. Um, They're like, you might want to bring some kind like a solar powered phone charger because every day the power goes out here. We don't know when. It might be first thing in the morning, might be later in the day, but at some point the power is going to go out. And I was like, I feel like there's something that could fix that. We should look into it, but I'll go with it. And so I spent like 10 days here, not really knowing how it was going to go. And after day three, I just started to feel this whole transformation, this whole transformation in myself because you have two desires in you. Which one will be stronger? It's the one that you feed. It's the one that you feed. And while I was in Africa, I just wasn't really able to feed that desire monster in me that seeks comfort, convenience, entitlements. And after day three, I just realized, whoa, I'm so alive without those things. It felt good to feel the beast start to die. That wasn't the only reason. It wasn't just the absence of my everyday distractions. It was the presence of a spiritual living people. The people exercised their freedom to constantly love and constantly bless each other. We saw five-year-old girls carrying two-year-old brothers on their back to come to the day camp where we were at. We just watched this everyday sacrifice becoming normal. We would see as the camp directors would just bless each other and speak life and encouragement to each other. And no one was working hard to get ahead. No one was trying to put anyone else down. We were all striving for the glory of God, for his glory and our goodness every day. And I was just telling my wife, like, yeah, I think I could do it without frosted blonde highlights. Like, I could do it. Um, I would love to live there a year because I would love to know what it feels like to live like that every day. If you're struggling with your desire monster, you got to know North America is one of the hardest places for you to exist. Every day, marketers are playing with you, messing with you, making you feel insecure, pointing out your inadequacies, all with a quick fix, but they all come with a price. You'll never negotiate with your desire monster, but you can kill it. The fourth thing that we see in this passage is glorious. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. How do you know if what you have is real? It's not the fruit you duct tape on the tree branch. It's analyzing what is starting to grow in your life. What is starting to grow in your life? Because here's the marks of the spirit. When he shows up in your life, here are the things that come with him. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control verse says in 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So the fourth thing that we see is stunning. It's a grand hope. It's an epic calling. It's Christianity. Because in Christ we are given a new power and a new nature. How are you going to change on your own? You're not. How are you going to make it through the struggle? You won't. How are you going to find a way to get it right and measure up? You never will. But in Christ, you have freedom not to become a little less bad, but to become crucified with Christ, that you may live again. What is that desire monster in your life? Stop feeding the beast. Let it die. Make a declaration of faith today and allow Jesus to kill the beast. We have been set free from the desire monster. And maybe your prayer today looks like this. God, let me die to my wicked desires. God, I believe That you're enough god i need your power step by step and day by day the power of change is this it's the person of change hear that again the secret to all of this is that the power of change is simply the person of change christianity is not about information it's about intimacy Press into the person of who God is, and he will begin to change you. The Holy Spirit is not a nameless force. He's the very one who yearned for you, who died for you on the cross, and now indwells you. And the less of you, guess what? The more of him. The less of you, the more of him. The biggest change is to let God make your changes. You have two natures within you, church. Which one will grow? The one that you feed? The one that you feed. I'm going to ask for our musician to come back in just a moment. We're going to have a time of reflection while he makes his way up here. um, My son this week taught me a lot about grace. As I mentioned, he was teething. Apparently some kids teeth without screaming for six days straight, but that's not how we do it in the Bennett family. When we go, we go big. If we have a piercing tooth. Pressing through the flesh. We're going to let everybody know about it. And so there's so many times this week my son was red-faced, snot nose, just screaming. And I was just holding him thinking, like, I just can't wait to kiss those big cheeks. Like, I love you so much. Your behavior cannot diminish the way I feel about you. And, and guess what? I can't even control that. It's compulsory. And Jesus makes a really cool statement in the New Testament. And he says, if you think, you wicked people, if you think you love your kids— Imagine the lavish love that a perfect God has for you. You've never been unwantable to him. Even in your sin, he knew what he was getting into when he came for you. And he's not disappointed. And he won't be. It is for freedom that he has set you free. It is for freedom He set you free. So my son, it's so fun nurturing his life and discovering the things that he likes and gets into. Like cultivating this life with him. We never told him what his preferences will be. We just get to watch and nurture and give him opportunity to grow. And it turns out he's super into cars and everything with wheels. So the other day I walked into his room and it was so cute to watch him. He was so frustrated because he had pulled out this train track from his sister's drawer and he was trying to set up the track so that he could make the train run. And he would set up two or three pieces and get frustrated that he couldn't do the rest because he couldn't get it to fit together. And he just like kept knocking it over and just fussing. And so part of it was just endearing and adorable. Like I love that he was trying. And so I just kind of like got on his level you know, cause you gotta move slowly with that one. Got on his level and just sat with him for a second. And I would try to reach in. And when I would reach in, he would smack my hand away. He would take the track, he would try to shove a piece together, try to shove another piece together, try to put the train back on the track and get frustrated again and knock the whole thing over again. And so finally, he just started to trust me. So like I was there not pushing a separate agenda. I was there on his agenda. Like, let me help you build the track. Let me help you with a goal. Let's make this change together. And so slowly but surely, all all he did was just begin to rest. Just sit, wait, and be with me and watch. And piece by piece, we started to build the track. Because I'm imperfect, I screwed up one part, but we figured it out and got it back on track until finally we had a perfect loop. And I watched him put the trains on and just take delight and joy in completing the circle and reaching the goal. It's a simple illustration, but it's today's point. You have a father in heaven who knew you couldn't come to him, so he came to you. And here he is gently and faithfully discovering who you are. He already knows he made you and crafted you. He's watching as you discover the piece of art that he has created you to be. No, he doesn't like the screaming. No, he doesn't like the mistakes he sees the the pain they inflict on you and against his glory but his grace is enough and if you will just give up and let him you will see fullness precious person that's what god has for you today would you bow your head for just a moment i wonder if there's a person in this room that if you were to be honest with yourself you've heard a lot about the family of god But if you were to be honest, there has never been a moment you've gone all in with Jesus. There's never been a moment when you've given up and let him take over your life. If I were to ask you just in a personal way today, if today was the day that you left this earth and you stood before God, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? If your answer has anything to do with good works, I hope you've seen in the scripture today. That's not enough. Because you're good your good will never be enough. But the standard of God was never changed. It was fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus himself says, Here's the deal. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. The person he spoke that to is religious, and he said, You mean physically? And Jesus said, No. Every person's born physically. What I'm saying is that you have to die to yourself and live in me, to place your full faith and trust to give your life to be saved. I wonder if there's anyone in this room that would say, Aaron, I don't know if I've ever made that step with God. If that's you, that's why we're here. I encourage you today to pray an honest prayer and give your heart and give your life to Jesus. Go all in with him, confess your sins, lay it down and follow Jesus. And if that's so, mark it somewhere on your card so we can walk with you, grab a person, let us be with you as you consider these things. That's why we exist. I wonder if there's a burden believer in the house today They would say, Aaron, I'm struggling. I can't remember the last time I felt free in God. The answer today is pretty simple, but it's not easy. Something has to die. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Jesus in me. What in your life today do you need to say goodbye to forever? In the power of God, as the captive doors are flung open, Where do you need to seize freedom? Give up and let him. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray. When I say amen, we're gonna invite all the believers, those who have placed their trust in Jesus to observe the elements of communion. I love, I love this. As we take the bread, we remember that body of Christ that was broken that we might find healing. As we dip the bread into the juice, we remember that we are plunged into a new family baptized into this life cleansed by his blood and left clean as snow as we receive these elements we do so as he commanded in remembrance of him we honor his sacrifice we carry around this life and death with us always so we never forget the life of the spirit he's given us to lead let me pray for us and as the spirit leads let's receive communion together jesus we love you you are good thank you for your scriptures thank you for your spirit thank you for your people thank you for your truth thank you for freedom We need you. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And God's people said together, amen. Let's continue in worship, and as the Spirit leads, let's receive communion. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.